Hello and welcome to Heads or Tales. I am your host, Indiana. And I am Jasper Jett. And we are a couple of uh, little amateur biologists who are really enthusiastic about these things. And so we made a podcast. Uh, we try to upload um, twice a month on the 1st and the 15th, barring major life events, which 2020 was a good year for that. <laughs> um, our little... Uh, Disclaimer that we throw up over every episode, uh, we're super not experts in any stretch of the imagination, and most of what we do is just aggressive Wikipedia-ing, so you should always do your own research and double-check things that, that we say. These are like little primer starter bits, but if something we say turns out to not be true, we didn't look that hard, which maybe are bad, but also we told you, so like... <laughs> Um, so there's that. Uh, we flip coins to figure out who goes first in each uh, pair of episodes, and since um, today is a coin flip episode, we will be uh, flipping at the end of the episode. Uh, and that's everything for our top of the episode stuff. So uh, let's get into the information. Uh, so, uh, I, this week, episode, uh, am doing it on the Venus flytrap. Uh, its scientific name is, and I'm never gonna get this right, I, I, you know, at this point I've gone so far without looking them up, I just refuse to at this point. Uh, Dionea? Uh, Musicopula? Ugh. Uh, so Dionea is um, just an ancient Greek name for Aphrodite, uh, which is also where Venus comes from. They, uh, the flowers of the person who, who found them thought they were very, very beautiful, and so they called them the Venus flowers. Um, and the other one that I butchered really bad means mousetrap because of how it snaps closed. Mm. Venus flytraps uh, live in, in the wild, have these small white flowers, like I said, and their leaves have the snappy bits at the end that, that uh, most people know what they look like. Often they're red on the inside uh, to, to attract prey. They only grow to be a couple of inches slash centimeters. There's not really that much of a difference when it's on that small a scale. They're really not that big. Um, natively, it grows in the coastal bogs of uh, North and South Carolina. The native range is actually only about 100 kilometers or 60 miles. Um, there is a naturalized population in Florida and an introduced population in, uh, western Washington, which I find to be weirdly pleasing because you, Jasper, are moving to Florida while I will be staying where I am in western Washington. So we will be connected by non-native populations of Venus flytraps. <laughs> oh, I love that. I had no idea we had them here. Hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, quick side note, non-native is different than invasive. While they can go together, they don't have to. And just because something is native somewhere doesn't mean it also doesn't grow or behave invasively and vice versa. Non-native populations can exist and be non-disruptive. Invasive is generally the bigger problem. So if you're talking about it in like a, these are problematic because they're blank sense, you should be saying invasive because that's generally speaking what people mean. So, that's all of my 
generalized information. Very cool. I love these little plants. All right. So on to my questions. Question number one, how exactly does it trap and eat its prey? So you've got Venus flytrap leaves with the little trappy bits that snap shut, and they have all of these little hairs on them. And if uh, a bug crawls on them, it'll knock into the hairs. And if two get knocked into it uh, in 20 seconds, the um, trap will close. It takes two bumps in 20 seconds to avoid an accidental trigger because it's a very costly uh, thing to do to snap it closed. And then um, digesting it is also very costly. So they'll wait and see if the bug struggles around inside the trap. And after five more triggers, um, they'll start digesting it. Mm. Very cool. All right, and then uh, how common is this plant found? Uh, okay, so in its native habitat, it's actually in review to be added to the Endangered Species Act, which in the U.S. is uh, the piece of legislation that will uh, protect species that need protecting from extinction. Um, uh, in the wild, it's decreasing like something like 93% or something, uh, since 1990, something like that. Uh, don't quote me on those numbers. Um, and it's actually considered uh, vulnerable on the IUCN Red List, which is the biggest collection of conservation data in the world, and is, I'm pretty sure, what most people think of when they say the endangered species list. Okay. Um, it's probably not going to just die off directly because, again, there are populations outside of it and we are cultivating it to be kept as a houseplant uh, obviously that's what this this little care episode is for but where it grows natively it's it's very threatened yikes okay all right question number three are there insects that it cannot eat okay so most carnivorous plants will specialize for a specific kind of bug uh both because of prey available and also because of the different mechanisms involved in catching different kinds of bugs. So Drosera, like the sundew that we did in an earlier episode, will specialize in catching small flying insects, and uh, Dionea, which is Venus flytraps and the like, uh, cat specialize in catching um, terrestrial bugs like spiders and beetles. It's like slightly bigger things. Um, gets too big, it can't keep it trapped. If it's too small, it's not nutrient. Uh, nutritious enough to be worth expending the energy to catch it. Uh, fun fact, uh, the uh, Dionea actually evolved from Drosera, so the little sticky trap ones came first and then they started snapping closed. That's cool, actually. I like that. <laughs> Alright, for my fourth question, just kind of uh, run me through that life cycle. Okay, so you can have the whole pollination seed germinates and reaches maturity in about four to five years, or more commonly, they do clonal division, which is a kind of asexual reproduction in the spring and summer. Either way, the plants are going to live for about 20 to 30 years if you treat them well. Uh, for, like, uh, commercial use, they're um, usually grown in vitro, is I think the correct one there, uh, and it's just, it, that's what test tube babies mean, it just means in glass in Latin, um, and so they'll just use the cultures from there, because it's the easiest way to do it en masse, or most cost-effective, not necessarily easiest. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay, cool. And so uh, that's all of Jasper's questions uh, for that. And so now we have an audience question. Uh, and this episode's question comes uh, from uh, at Ink and Stories on Twitter again. Uh, they, they've been here before. So hi, welcome back. Um, their question is, what is the biggest thing it can eat? Which is an excellent question and was really fun to look into. So again, generally pretty small. If it's uh, too big, it'll escape and then the flytrap will have wasted all of its energy for nothing. Uh, generally speaking, it catches things about one third the size of the trap and the trap's only about two to three centimeters. So really only about a centimeter big. So not, not very large, like, you know, generally like a small, like, like you know, decently sized spider or beetle. Um, occasionally, Though, some of the uh, larger strains of, of this kind of plant have been found with small frog skeletons in their traps. So that's fun. <laughs> and now we move in to our tangent, the big one, the fun one. How do you care for a Venus flytrap if you're going to keep it as, uh, as uh, a houseplant? I almost said pet. Uh... <laughs> So the first things first, you gotta keep them moist. These things are native to bogs, and you really want the water to be, like, really as much just water as you can. Distilled is nice, but if you don't have that and you're just using tap water, you might want to run it through a filter just to keep contaminants out of the soil. Uh, keeping it inside, you're going to want bright and indirect sunlight um, for about four to five hours um, a day at least. And a general house temperature is usually pretty good. You don't have to worry about, like, moving it to different parts of the house as much. Um, they're pretty good. They, they're known for being a little bit tricky, but if you remember that you're just trying to keep it in an area that kind of reminds it of being in a bog, you'll go pretty good. So you want to grow it in something really peaty or mossy that drains well. And when you water it, you want to soak it and then let it get moderately dry before you water it again. Um, the leaves and traps will turn black over time. It's fine. They're just old. You just gotta cut them off and the plant will be fine. Um, if you think the plant isn't growing well and needs to be fertilized, that's when you get to feed it insects. Um, and another general care uh, tip is try not to trigger the trap unless you're triggering it with an insect. It's really costly to snap closed, and so if you trigger it without giving it something to make up for the fact that it had to close, it's kind of just wasteful and it, it can be harmful for the plant long, far, long term. Um, also, fun fact, uh, when you have uh, plant breeds, you call them cultivars, which I thought was super fun. Ooh. Okay, and uh, that's all of the information for this episode. Which means it is time for the coin flip. Yay! That's my job. So, yes, 90% of the objects in my house are in boxes or in suitcases because I'm moving. So right now I will be flipping one of the very few things that I own, which is a Ghirardelli chocolate square. Uh, it is I full of caramel. This. It's very good. My favorite flavor. Oh, I love the caramel ones. Oh, the dark chocolate with sea salt caramel in the middle. That's the one. Ugh. <laughs> All right. I gotta do this before it melts in my hand. 
the side with the Ghirardelli logo is going to be heads and the back is going to be tails. So heads or tails? Heads. Heads. Alright, so you're going to be doing the next episode, which is time for me to segue into our socials. Um, okay, so, uh, you can find the podcast um, at Heads or Tails 20 on Twitter, Heads or Tails Official Podcast on Facebook, or email us at Heads or Tails Official Podcast.com. Don't forget, hopefully we won't to hunt down uh, our little spot on Twitter if you want to leave questions for the next episode, which is going to be about bearded dragons. Oh, yay! <laughs> oh. Uh, and so once... Um, okay, and now, shout-out time. Uh, my shout-out uh, for this episode is for a black non-binary creator named Aki. You can find them several places on the internet. Uh, first and foremost is their Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash shidare aki, which is S-H-I-D-A-R-E-A-K-I, where they play a variety of video games. They also have some days where they just do chatting stuff. Um, they're very, uh, very fun to hang out with. Uh, you can also find them on New Pantheon over at twitch.tv slash saving throw show uh, where they play a young demigod in a modern fantasy setting. And you can also find them uh, over at twitch.tv slash qtimes on Clear Skies which is a Star Trek RPG show as well as many other places that are linked on their Twitch. Those are just two that I have personally watched and can highly recommend Super behind, but can highly recommend. <laughs> uh, you can also follow them um, on Twitter uh, at Mix Genie in a Bottle, M X G I N I I N A B O T T L E. You should really check them out. They're really cool people. They tell really cool stories, and they help a lot of other people tell really cool stories. And so that's a wrap for this episode. I have been Indiana. And I am Jasper Jett. And we will see y'all next time. Bye. Bye.